thank you. I want to say, as, as always, thank you so much to this congregation here for everything you've done for us. We really appreciate you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak for you this morning for just a few moments with God's Word. Um, I want to talk for just a little bit as we get everything set up here um, about Hannah. And I mentioned to my mom that the plan was for me to talk about Hannah. And she commented that Hannah was a, certainly a self-sacrificing mother. And I agree with that, obviously. As we look in the scriptures, we're going to see her story. I figured that it would be fitting uh, for Mother's Day. Of course, as Brother Jonathan mentioned, we need to honor our father and mother all the time, every day. But as it is Mother's Day, I thought I'd talk about this mother who is self-sacrificing. And I've come to appreciate more and more how self-sacrificing good mothers are, uh, especially since... I've had children of my own, and uh, I've seen the sacrifices that my wife makes for them. And, you know, I know, of course, that my mother did the same growing up, but it's different when you're a child. You don't always recognize and appreciate those things. So thanks, Mom, and thanks, Emily, and all the mothers out there. I appreciate you very much. And Hannah's a great example to us of that kind of self-sacrifice that God requires of each one of us in our devotion to Him. Hannah went through a very difficult time in her life. She wanted to have children, and she was not able to have children. And she suffered because of this and, and other circumstances. But we can learn a lot from how she handled this situation when it comes to the difficult situations we find ourselves in life. Maybe we're struggling with a serious illness, or, or we've lost a loved one. There's, there are people here in this congregation who are struggling with those things, or or there's some kind of spiritual problem, or our life just isn't working out the way that we had hoped. Maybe we, we're struggling with infertility or something along those lines. There's all sorts of problems we have in life, and if you're not currently going through that, just wait, because it'll happen. That's just the way life is. How do we handle those problems? How do we handle those situations when we face them? It's often said that when we face problems in life, they can either bring us closer to God, or they can push us farther away. And of course our goal is to grow closer to God and glorify Him in the good times and the bad times. And so I want to talk about our response to difficult seasons and difficult situations and times in our life. And I want you to think about the times that you may be going through or perhaps will in the future. And think about what Hannah did and how she handled this situation and how we can do the same whenever we face those difficult times. So let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're just going to focus on the first chapter of 1 Samuel. Um, of course, Hannah continues on in, in the book in chapter 2, and, and that is something that we can study at a later time, perhaps if I'm able to come back. But uh, for now, let's just focus on the first chapter. And if you'd like to turn along with me, you can. We're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 1 together and have a few comments on it. Then we're going to talk about some things we can learn about how Hannah handled this difficult situation she found herself in. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Oh. oh, you're right, isn't it? Well, I don't, I don't know where the right clicker is. Here it is. Thank you. All right. So 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 3 says, Now there was a certain man of Remethem Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. 
Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So Hannah, of course, is Samuel's mom. And she was one of the two wives of Elkanah. And before Samuel came along, she wasn't able to have children. Uh, Elkanah had another wife. He was a Levite, and his other wife's name was Peninnah. Peninnah had children. Hannah didn't have children. It was during the days of uh, the judges, towards the end of the days of the judges. And so they would go up yearly to Shiloh to sacrifice there. That's where the tabernacle was during those days. And as a Levite, he would, he would be required to go up there. Actually, all the males of Israel were required to go to Shiloh three times a year. But Elkanah took his wives and children up there to worship there. We're introduced to this family here. Elkanah, his wife Peninnah, who had children, and Hannah, who didn't have children. Verses 4 through 8 says, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Peninnah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So those who made the offerings were allowed to eat of the peace offering. And Elkanah gave to his wife and his children. But he gave Hannah a double or a better portion because he had love and compassion for Hannah. Hannah didn't have children, and he favored her. Uh, he felt sorry for her, and he gave her his double portion. Well, Peninnah, of course, his other wife got jealous, and she taunted and provoked Hannah because she had no children. Even though this was something, as we can assume, Hannah hadn't done herself. This is something that God had done. God closed her womb. doesn't say that Hannah had done anything wrong to deserve that. Peninnah still mocked her for that. And as a result of that, Hannah became very distraught. Now, it's natural for most people to want to have children. Once they grow up, there's a natural desire for motherhood. And a woman's ability, especially in those days, to give her husband children and raise them was very valued in that society. Hannah wanted to have children. But even more than that, think about the time period and the situation they were in. This was before the Messiah. This was the time of Judges. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This was a prophecy given in the very beginning that the woman would bear Eve, and, or her descendants would bear the Messiah. And at this time, the Messiah hadn't come. So any time that a person had children, it could be the Messiah, or one of the ancestors of the Messiah. So they wanted to have children. They wanted to... Perhaps have an opportunity to give birth to the Messiah. And Peninnah, who was obviously jealous of Elkanah's affection toward Hannah, tormented her about some of these things or all of these things. And this added to Hannah's misery, and she didn't want to eat the sacrifice. And Elkanah tried to comfort her, and he said, Hannah, why are you sad? Aren't I giving you this double portion? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And that was not very comforting to Hannah. Uh, she was still upset about it. But Peninnah's mocking and the stress of infertility greatly distressed Hannah. Um, I can relate to some degree, I suppose. For a while, 
we didn't uh, we were not even, we didn't have children and we didn't know if we were going to be able to have children. It took quite a while, uh, and we'll just say that that we weren't sure for a while whether or not that was ever going to happen. And eventually, Blakely came along, and we're very grateful and thankful for that. And then God blessed us with Julia later as well, and so we're very grateful for that. But it's difficult when you're in that situation before it happens, not knowing whether or not it's ever going to happen, especially if that's something that you greatly desire. And so that's a very difficult thing to go through, and many people suffer with infertility and other problems, and, and it's, it's hard. And it was complicated by many things, and not the least of which, I suppose, of Penina mocking her. She had to live every day with this fellow wife who had children and was able to provide children for her husband, but she wasn't able to. And so she was obviously distressed and, and distraught because of the situation. Now let's continue on, verses 9 through 11. It says, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, and I will give him up to the Lord, give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. We see Hannah's response to this sad situation she found herself in, being described in bitterness of soul. She prayed to God, and she wept bitterly. And in her prayer, she vowed that if God were to give her a male child, that she would give him up to the service of God all the days of his life, and no razor would come upon his head. This is a reference to the Nazarite vow. If you'll recall, Numbers chapter 6 talks about the Nazarite vow. And it says that for the duration of a vow, a person would not be allowed to cut their hair or drink wine or go near a dead body and other things, and that they would be holy before God during the time of that vow. Well, Hannah said that I'll make my child a Nazarite from birth. All his life, he'll be a Nazarite. And, she would, and he would be given over to the service of God. Numbers chapter 8, verse 24 through 24, talks about the Levites and how they were required to serve at the tabernacle from ages 25 to 50. But Hannah said, not just 25 to 50, all his life, Samuel's going to serve the Lord. That's a major sacrifice that she is making as a mother. And we're, we'll talk about more that in just a moment. But she said, if I have this child, Lord, I'm going to give him up to your service. Verses 12 through 18 says, and as it, as it happened, and it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So Eli saw her lips moving in this silent prayer, and he thought, Well, well goodness, she's drunk. What is she doing? And he said, Put away your wine for me. How long are you going to be drunk? And, and, and Hannah said, no, I'm not drunk. I've been praying to God. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. And El uh, Hannah, Eli, realized what was going on with Hannah. And he said, go in peace. The Lord grant your request. Now, I want you to notice something on this. Verse 17. Um, okay, there it is. Yeah. 
Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. So, he said, God grant your request. But notice he didn't say God will grant your request. It was a blessing that God would grant whatever it is that she asked of God, not a prophecy that it would occur. There's a, there's a major difference. He did not say that it would happen. He just said, may that happen, basically. And so she left knowing that Eli had blessed her, but not knowing for sure whether or not God was going to grant that request. And yet, as we see, she went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And we'll focus on that in just a moment. But obviously she had peace at that point and trust in God. Verses 19 to 23 it says, Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, which means asked of God, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And opened her husband said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. So Samuel came along, and she called him Samuel, which means asked of God. And Okuna was going to go up to Shiloh again to sacrifice, but Hannah didn't want to take Samuel just yet up to, to, uh, to Shiloh. So she said, Please let me wait until the child's weaned. Then I'm going to go up and take him to Shiloh. And and he would stay there forever. And Elkanah agreed, and Samuel stayed behind and, uh, with Hannah until he was weaned. Verses 24 through 28 says, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the Lord, who stood by you here, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. So when Hannah had weaned Samuel, the Bible says that he was young. Scholars think that he might have been around three years old. They slaughtered a bull and brought him up to Eli, saying that this was the child that she had prayed for and God had granted her request. So she had great expectations for Samuel because God had obviously granted her request in her favor. But Eli took Samuel in and raised him, and eventually he grew up to be a great prophet in Israel. Now, again, Hannah's story doesn't stop there. Uh, she prays a very beautiful prayer in chapter 2. Perhaps, Lord willing, I have a sermon on that prayer and, and a, a prayer of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, perhaps some other time, if I'm able to come up here, we can talk about that in part 2, if you will. But I want to focus on what Hannah did here in this first chapter, I think we can learn a whole lot about how we handle difficult situations from the way that and the response that Hannah had to the difficult situation she found herself in. Think about what Hannah did in this situation, in this difficult season. She, her first response was to pray to God. When we are distressed, our first response should be to turn to God in prayer. I want you to think about Two other women that the Bible mentions who weren't able to have children wanted to have children. One of them was Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. Sarah was too old to have children. And the other one was Rachel, Jacob's wife, who also struggled with infertility. 
When Rachel was not able to have children, she came to Jacob and said, basically, give me children or else I'm going to die. And Jacob was obviously upset about this. He said, I mean, you know, it's nothing I'm doing to not allow you to have children. That's something that God's doing. I'm not God. Am I God to be able to give you children? He obviously did not have the power to cure her infertility. Jacob had children with his other wife. And so it wasn't Jacob's fault, if you will. I don't know if fault's the right word, but it wasn't because of Jacob. But he said, I can't do that. That's only something God can do. But she blamed Jacob when it wasn't something that Jacob had any control over. Sarah, and both of these women actually, for that matter, decided that they were going to solve the problem by taking matters into their own hands and give their husband one of their handmaids to be a wife to their husband. And so the idea, I guess, was that since they owned these handmaids as slaves, if the handmaid became a wife to the husband, that any children that they produced would technically be the wives, would be, you know, the first wives because they owned them. And so they would bear them on their knees and, and their children would be, would be their children, would be Sarah's children or Rachel's children in this situation. And I don't understand that logic, but that's what they thought. And so they decided that they, they were going to handle it that way. And Rachel gave her handmaid to Jacob to be her wife, her, his husband, his wife. And Sarah gave her handmaid to uh, Abraham to be his wife. And for Sarah in particular, this led to a lot of problems in their family. Uh, if you'll remember, Hagar was despised, uh, or she despised Sarah uh, whenever Hagar had a child. And so that led to a lot of conflict in their family. And I want you to think about these responses that these women had when they were faced with this situation. Three different women all struggled with infertility, and they had three different responses. Rachel blamed other people. And how often, whenever we go through difficult times in life, do we lash out at other people, even when it's not their fault? I know that that's something that I do as a husband. Sometimes I blame Emily for things that she has absolutely nothing to do with. But she's there. So she's the one who has to, to bear the brunt of, of that, and that's just not right. But sometimes we do that. We have a tendency to do that. What about what Sarah did? Sarah lashed out at her rival, Hagar, whenever she set up that situation anyway to begin with, but she lashed out and it caused problems in their family. Sometimes we have a tendency to do that, to lash out at other people. Sometimes we have a tendency to take matters into our own hands. And when we struggle with something, try to fix it on our own instead of turning to God. And that's what they did. They said, well, I'll give my handmaid to my husband and, and they can just marry them. That's not the way that we should respond to these things either. We should be like Hannah was and turn to God in prayer and trust in Him. It's difficult sometimes, though, when, it, when we do that to always totally and completely give ourselves over to God and surrender our situation to Him. We want to try to solve those problems on our own. We want to try to fix those things. When Emily was first diagnosed with breast cancer when she was pregnant, or she was expecting, in, uh, in the pandemic, you know, that was a difficult situation. And we didn't have, we didn't know how bad the cancer was. We didn't know the extent of it. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so our first response, all we really could do was pray. We turned to God in prayer because we had no other choice. There was nothing we could do. We were, it was totally out of our hands. 
So we turn to God in prayer. And sometimes when we go through difficult times, that is all we can do. And that's the easy thing, if you will. And that's our natural response. And that's a good response. That's what we should do. But all too often in my life, I go through difficult times and that's not my first response. I think I may have given this example here before. I'm not sure. But a while back, I uh, had a car that I, was, that I was driving and I was in the parking lot uh, of a park where there was a trash can there. I was throwing away some trash. And anyways, I, I put the car uh, back in to drive and the car didn't go. And so it was an automatic transmission and I thought, oh great. The car is supposed to go when it's in drive, but it didn't go. It just, just acted like it was in neutral, it just revved up. And so I, I, I slipped the car into reverse and thought, well, maybe I can go backwards. But it didn't go backwards either. It just stayed there. And so I thought, well, great. That means that I'm going to have to pay $3,000 or whatever for a new transmission. My transmission's blown. And was my first response to turn to God in prayer and to, to think about seeking Him in that difficult situation? No, that wasn't my first response. Instead of turning to God, I turned to the Internet. And I, I tried to figure out from Google what the correct response to that was, how I could fix that car, and found out that it was actually the linkage between the gear shift and the transmission. There's a wire that had come off, and so I took that apart and put it back on, and thankfully it, it started working again, and I was able to drive away. And it was a lot cheaper than the $3,000. And so as I drove away, my thought at that point was, you know what I should have done from the very beginning? It's starting to turn to Google and YouTube. I should have turned to God in prayer. That should be our first response, shouldn't it? Whenever we go through those difficult times, I didn't have $3,000. I mean, I was not prepared for this transmission problem, and I was distressed, but I didn't turn to God. Sometimes, whenever we go through those difficult situations, our first response is to try to solve it on our own and try to fix it on our own and just to get distraught instead of turning to God. Or perhaps we blame other people or we try to take the matters into our own hands. So what about you? The difficult situations you might find yourself in, how do you respond to them? Is your first response to turn to God in prayer always and to trust in Him always and surrender everything you have to Him always? Or is our response ever to lash out? Or maybe our response is to try to take matters into our own hands instead of trusting God. Do you and I have the kind of relationship with God that we can say that we truly pray without ceasing? And that we turn to Him in all times in the difficult situations. God wants us to trust Him and turn to Him, just like I want my children to come to me whenever they have problems. God wants us to turn to Him whenever we struggle with whatever it is we may be facing in our life. He cares about us. He loves us. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Therefore, humble yourselves unto the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Likewise, Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, God wants us to cast our cares upon Him because He cares about us. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He doesn't want us to worry and and fret about things, especially things that we cannot control, but our first response should be to turn to Him. Is that your response? Is that mine? And if that's not the kind of relationship that you have with your Father, I encourage you to develop it. 
Often the first step is to get to know your father better, praying to him, turning to his word, studying. Preachers talk about that all the time, but there's good reason for it. The closer we are in knowledge of God's word, the closer we are to God in prayer, the closer we'll be in a relationship with our father. And we should have that kind of devotion and that kind of desire to turn to him whenever we struggle with whatever it is we face in this life. More than just praying to God, we see through Hannah's response that she had a devotion to him and to his will and entrusted her life to him. We think about what Hannah did. Hannah was willing to give up her male child to the service of God if he blessed her with one. And that's a major concession. You know, Hannah wanted a child really, really badly. She really, really wanted a child. But in her prayer, asking God to give her a child... She vowed that if God did give her that child, that she would give up that one thing that she desired. That she would give him up to serve God. And that's exactly what Samuel did. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18-19 through says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So back... In those days, according to scholars, if you were a poorer Levite, uh, instead of going up to the tabernacle three times a year, they made it an exception, allowed you to go once a year, and it appears that's what they did. They went once a year to Shiloh. And so this child that she longed to have and longed to raise and longed to have all, uh, to be a mother to, she had to give up. And she wasn't able to see the child as he grew up. Only one time a year she would go and see him. Of course, she had other children. And uh, later, but this is a major sacrifice, a major commitment that she made. It's amazing the magnitude of the vow that Hannah made to God. She was so devoted to God and to glorifying him that she was willing to give up to him and for him the one thing that she desired of him. That's the kind of devotion that you and I ought to have and that God expects of us. When we think about our own situations, the difficult times that we find ourselves in, trials, tribulations, distress, and grief, do we maintain the kind of commitment to God that our number one focus is not ourselves, but rather that God will be glorified even in our distress? Think about that for just a moment. When you pray, you know, it's natural for us to have desires and things that we want. And those things are okay to want as long as we don't have a selfish attitude that says I'm going to put other people above myself or I'm going to put myself before God. Because sometimes the things that we want aren't in line with what God wants. And that's good. So if we want the same thing, it's okay for us to want those things. But what about the times when what God's will is is different than ours? Are we willing to say to God, I know I may want this, but your will be done. It's more important that you will be glorified than I may have whatever it is I desire. And when it comes to the case of suffering and distress, am I willing to say to God, even if I am not able to be relieved of this distress and uh, this suffering, I want your will to be done anyway. That's difficult to do. Sometimes we pray selfishly, don't we? James 4 verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask and miss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You see, when we pray to God, sometimes God says no to our prayers. 
But when that happens, we still need to trust him and say, your will be done. That's what Jesus did before he had to suffer on the cross. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He put his commitment to God first, even above his own. Hannah trusted God and submitted to his will, even though she had to give up the thing that she desired, even though she didn't know what the outcome would be, whether or not she would even be able to have those children. You know, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm struggling with something or whenever I'm suffering, whenever there's difficult times in my life, how do I pray? A lot of times my prayer is turning to God and saying, God, please relieve me of this suffering. Take away this pain. I don't want to have this, this problem in my life anymore. And I don't think it's wrong to have that attitude. But I need to have the attitude that Jesus did. And first and foremost say, Lord, if it be your will, relieve me of this pain. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. If you desire, if it's something that's, that's in accordance to your will, let me be relieved of this suffering. Is that our attitude? Or whenever we're struggling, is our attitude simply relieve me of this pain? Relieve me of this suffering? Do we, and we say that, we say not our will, but your will be done. Do we mean that? Even if that means I have to suffer, even if that means that I have to endure this pain, that's the kind of attitude we must have because as Christians, we know that our will is not always the same as God's and God has everything in control. God sometimes says no. We don't know the reason for everything and God does. We need to trust in him. We need to submit to him even when we don't know what the outcome will be. Think about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They were facing the prospect of being cast into the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar asked them to bow down before the, the idol, and they said, we're not going to bow down. And they threatened them with the fiery furnace, and, and they said, it doesn't matter if you threaten us with a fiery furnace, because we know that our God is stronger, and our God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. Think about what they said next. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. And worship this idol because we are going to serve our God and him alone. Even if we have to die, we're still going to worship God. That's devotion. That's commitment. Do you and I have that devotion? Do you and I have that kind of commitment? Hannah gave up the very thing that she desired of God. Jesus gave up his life for the sake of God's will. Are we willing to give up the things that we might desire in our life? Are we willing to give up our life to glorify God? Think about your prayers and make sure that we're truly devoted to Him. Take stock of how you pray and make sure it's not just selfishness, but devotion to God's cause. And finally, the last thing I want to talk about that Hannah did in this distressful situation is that she still, even in her distress, found joy in giving her cares over to God, even knowing that God sometimes says no. 1 Samuel 1, verse 18, and she says, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now remember, Eli had not told her, God's going to grant your request. You're definitely going to have this child. He said, 
the Lord grant your request. He, he, he blessed her that it would happen, didn't, but she didn't know if it was going to happen or not. That didn't matter. But she still trusted in God. She still had faith in him. She went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She knew that no matter what, even if God said no, that God still cared for her, and she had poured out her heart to God and given her cares over completely to him and trusted in him and rejoiced in him, not knowing what the outcome of the situation would be. Do you and I do that? Do we truly, meaningfully trust and rejoice in God even in the difficult times in our life? Do we still have joy and find joy in the problems and the trials? If we trust God the way we should, we won't have to worry because we know that anything in this life, in all the sufferings that we face, it's going to be okay in the end and we still need to glorify God and we still need to rejoice in Him we have a hope of a home in heaven waiting for us. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And even beyond this, can we truly say that we rejoice in the will of God even in our hardships, even in our sufferings? Well, why would we do that? Well, there may be many reasons, but for one thing, because when we suffer, we learn to rely on God. We learn to trust him where if we cling to him and don't push him away in our life. And we can rejoice in that. And we can be thankful for the hope of a home in heaven where we will have joy forevermore and we won't have any more suffering. If all our life is just sunshine and roses, which it's not, but if it were, then how would we long for heaven like we should? So when we do suffer, we can rejoice in that, knowing that heaven will be that much sweeter and knowing that we can't do things on our own and we must submit to God fully and that God cares for us God loves us and God's granted us, not because we deserve it, because Christ died for us, a place in heaven where we can have joy forevermore. Paul had that attitude. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10 says, Unless I shall be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn of the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So he had some kind of physical ailment. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Think about that. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Even if you suffer, even if you struggle, even if there's difficulties, can you truly say God's grace is enough, no matter what I face in this life? That God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and stress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not only do I trust God, but I want to even rejoice in my sufferings because it shows the strength of God. What an amazing attitude and mindset. Is that your attitude and mindset? Is that my mindset? Or do we say to God, relieve me of the suffering? I'm in pain. I'm in sorrow. Please, Lord. And we can turn to him. We can say to him, God, I'm suffering. Please, Lord. But even if he does say no, we need to always say, your will be done. And even if I don't receive relief from this suffering in this life, your grace is sufficient. Is that your mindset? Is that your attitude? If not, then I encourage you to strive for this. When life gets you down, trust in God and His will. Rejoice in Christ 
and the salvation that he offers your soul, even if everything in this life does not turn out the way you want, even when we suffer the loss of loved ones, even if we struggle with infertility and we're never able to have children, or we want to get married and we never get married, or, or we suffer some kind of chronic illness, or whatever it might be, God's grace is sufficient, and we have a home waiting for us in heaven, and we're going to rejoice in God, even in those difficulties. Hannah turned away and her face was no longer sad, not knowing what the outcome would be because she trusted and gave herself fully over to God. What a great example to us. What a self-sacrificing mother to give her child over to God. Maybe you find yourself in a difficult time now or maybe you're going to face in the future. Look at the example of Hannah. Pray to God. Go to him first when you're troubled. Trust in him. Devote your life fully to him in your prayer so that you don't just say to God, relieve me of my suffering, but your will be done. And if it be your will, relieve me of my suffering. But your will be done. And rejoice, even in the sufferings, in the good times and the bad times, knowing that our reward in heaven is great and we don't deserve it. So we need to be thankful for it always and grateful and serving God no matter what we face, good or bad. Is that your mindset? Is that your attitude? If not, and I encourage you to make that change in your life. Develop that closer relationship with God, your Father, and cast your cares upon Him. Don't lash out at others. Don't blame other people. Don't try to take matters into your own hands and not turn to God or rely on Him first and foremost in your life. Devote yourself to Him like the self-sacrificing mother Hannah did and most especially like Jesus did. And you will be blessed in your life. Hopefully we've encouraged you to do that. We can pray with you and for you if you struggle in these ways or you want the prayers of the church or you're not a Christian and don't have that relationship with your father that you can only have through the sacrifice of Christ. We want to help you become a child of God today. God cares for you and God loves you and God wants you to be relieved of the guilt and burden of sin and give you the hope of that home in heaven. You can have that and we want to help you receive it. So if there be one of either class who want the prayers of the church or want to become a Christian, please come forward as we stand and sing the song which has been selected.